opportunity to gather together and uh, worship you in song and in your word and just uh, build each other up, pray for each other, Lord. And um, God, we just ask that you would be seen in our lives, that you would work in us, and uh, we would give you all the praise, honor, and glory in everything. The good things, the bad things, just help us to rely on you alone and um, that you would be our strength. Father, we thank you. We say this in your son's holy name. Amen. We're going to take up the offering. Uh, like I say, guest, uh, if you have one of those cards filled out with prayer requests or any information, you can put it in the offering plate. Jim, would you come up and take that offering for us, please, sir? Thank you for the wonderful music. Kids, you are dismissed to go downstairs with Tara and Hannah and Roberta. Have fun downstairs while the rest of us get yelled at. Well, not all of us. Just kidding. All right. Well, welcome. Thanks for being here this morning. I'm so glad that you're able to worship with us this morning, and I pray that uh, the Spirit will 
will work in your hearts this morning as we open up God's Word. Um, the music was just wonderful this morning, the offering, all that. Uh, just, uh, it's just a ministry to my own heart. So I thank uh, Tanner and Jess and Tabitha for, for ministering to us in music. And now we get to worship God uh, through the proclamation of His Word. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open up to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is where we're going to be at. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30. I'm actually doing 10 verses. That's a pretty good chunk, right, for, for me. So, um, And hopefully it won't be too long. Um, I, uh, I shoot for, for 30 minutes, and everyone that's known, been here for a while knows that that's usually not made. Or Mark hit, that uh, usually goes over a little bit, but, but that's what I try for. And the reason is, is I don't want to belabor the point, and I don't want to give us too much. I kind of feel like I give you guys a fire hose every week anyway of information, so I just try to keep keep it concise and um, and uh, pray that the, the ultimately that the Spirit will use it. Right? The the Word of God is the is the sword of the Spirit. It's what the the Holy Spirit uses in our hearts to transform us and change us. Um, so grateful for God's Word. So grateful to be have the opportunity and the privilege to proclaim it every Sunday. But ultimately, I, I, I pray that it's not just a Bible lesson, that the Spirit uses it in, in your hearts um, and ministers to you individually um, as we look to Him and, and ultimately bow our hearts and our knees to, to what God has for us in His Word. So let's pray. Let's begin with, Father, we come before you, Lord, and just asking, God, that you would do a work and, and among us, Father, in our, in our hearts, we, we are a, a sinful people, Lord. And uh, many of us under this roof um, have encountered you in a saving, powerful, transforming way, God, in the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and has uh, been justified and saved and adopted into your family through placing their faith and trust in Christ alone. And so we gather here this morning to give you honor, praise, and and worship, Father, that you, you deserve and you alone deserve for what you've done for us in the gospel, that you've given us a means in which we have a hope of eternal life and not only have this hope, but you've, you have told us that the Spirit comes and then dwells inside the hearts of every person that has placed their faith in Christ and begins to do this work of transformation to transform us into the image of Jesus. And we desire that, God, greatly. We desire that your Spirit would do that work. And we ask that you would help us set aside the trappings of this world, the distractions of this world this morning, and that we would focus on you and that your Spirit would do that work for your glory's sake and for our good. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 3 is where we're at. And we've been going through the, the, the verse by verse, uh, this gospel, this recording of Jesus' earthly ministry as, uh, uh, according to Mark. And we've seen several different things that Jesus has showed up on the scene, the beginning of his gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he showed up on the scene and that he um, declared himself to be the Son of God and the Messiah, the the, the, the promised Messiah that from in the Old Testament that points to this Messiah, this, this figure that would one day come, that God would send to save his people. Jesus shows up on the scene and he declares himself to do that. And not only does he declare himself to do that, but he also uh, demonstrates his authority to do that. 
by healing the sick and casting out demons. Doing these miraculous, complete, not just a one-off, maybe a miracle, maybe not a miracle, but numerous miracles of, and healings of the blind and the lepers and uh, the, the, the deaf and the, and the mute, casting out many demons as we saw last week. And as he demonstrates his authority over creation as the Son of God, God in flesh, that is who Jesus ultimately is and demonstrates his power and authority over his creation in his earthly ministry. So that you and I, why, why, what's the big picture for that? So that you and I, 2022, can, can have these historical narratives of this Messiah figure, this, this person named Jesus, and we can read these historical accounts, and you and I too can believe and receive that he truly is the Messiah. He is the Son of God who's come to seek and to save those who are lost. That you and I can have faith and who he's proclaimed to be is indeed, he is indeed the Messiah. And we, by placing our faith and trust in him, the, God's word declares that if we right, abandon hope and all else, don't place our faith in church membership, and we don't place our faith in, in our own self-righteous works, or we don't place our faith in a, a science that denies the existence of God. But if we turn from those things and place our faith in Christ and His accomplished work alone, the Scriptures today declare that those who believe and receive Him have been given eternal life. And we can look at this historical narrative and we, can't, we too can see who Jesus is, who the true Jesus is. And by placing our faith in this gospel message that we can have that promise of eternal life and the hope that is to come as we place our entire faith and trust in Him alone. Jesus not only came to this earth and demonstrated His authority, but He, he came for, on a specific mission, and, to, and that was to rescue a people, all those who would believe and trust in Him. He's come to s- rescue us out of our sin and separation from God by, by being the ultimate sacrifice who, who went to the cross he who knew no sin became sin for us. He went to the cross, and, and on that cross, as the Scriptures declare, he, he paid the penalty, the just punishment for sin. And obviously we know it wasn't Jesus who sinned, but He paid the just penalty of sin for us. He stood in our place. He demonstrated His love. He didn't just tell us He loved us. He demonstrated His love for us by going and taking that punishment upon Himself. He bore our sins so that we might be given His righteousness. That Because Jesus took the full just penalty upon Himself on the cross some 2,000 years ago, uh, those who by faith receive and believe Him and turn from uh, uh, trying to do it in any other way, if you do so, the Scriptures declare that we are given His righteousness. Jesus stood in our place, took our sin penalty, and then we are given His righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God and Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 This gift of salvation, this gift of righteousness is given to us on our behalf, and it's, it's received by, by faith, by trusting in the promise that He's given us in His Word. And we can promise and hope in these things because He's promised that He would... Re, uh, um, give us his word and, 
and the words of God would not fade. And by faith we can trust in His preserved Word, His inspired, God-breathed Word found in Scripture. And that's why we go verse by verse is because this Scripture that we're covering this morning is given to us by God. And I better get started with the sermon before, right? That 30-minute mark is already uh, slowly disappearing. But that's why we're doing it. That's the big picture. We're not here just for a Bible study. I hope I've been able to communicate to you that this morning. I pray that if you don't know Jesus this morning, that you've not placed your faith in Christ this morning, if you've never done that, I pray that you would abandon hope in all else and that by faith you would receive and believe Jesus as your Savior, that you too can be given this promise of eternal life. This adoption into God's family can be yours by placing your faith in Christ alone. And for those of us who have, we behold Jesus in this Scripture. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30, uh, we see Jesus in His earthly ministry and uh, the title of this sermon this morning is a ministry filled with irony as i was studying and out this week i just the, the sense of irony just kept jumping out all over the place so let's go ahead and first cover read these passages and then we'll get into them verse by verse verse 20 says jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even to able 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 to eat so we've seen thus far that the, the renown of Jesus, Jesus' popularity and fame is increasing. People are coming from all over the region because the, the, by word of mouth, right? They didn't have Facebook back in the day. By word of mouth, they, they heard that this, this Jesus was here and he was doing miracles. He was casting out demons. And so people were coming from everywhere to see him. Oh, so much to the, to the case that last week we saw him having to get into a boat just to separate himself from the masses. And we see again Jesus entering the house. The crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. And when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he is out of his mind. And the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan, he says. And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man and then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, people will, not, will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. 
So we have this passage of Scripture. We see Jesus again demonstrating in Matthew chapter 12. It has the same account. And we see Jesus uh, uh, relieving uh, another person, another man of a demonic spirit. This demonic spirit had made him uh, blind and and mute. And uh, Jesus heals him miraculously. Um, And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that, um, according to the Old Testament, were called by God to point people to God, to, to minister and to shepherd God's flock. Instead of recognizing who Jesus was, as we've seen for the first few chapters of Mark, instead of pointing people to Jesus, they begin to oppose him because they, Jesus threatened their power and their influence. Instead of declaring who he truly was, they begin to as we covered a couple weeks ago, they begin to figure out or, and to uh, convey with one another how they can murder Jesus, how they could get rid of him. And that's ironic in itself, right? This ministry full of irony, Jesus has finally showed up. He's the Messiah. He's the one that the, God's people had been waiting for and was hoping for. And yet... They received him not. Irony is defined as words or language or actions that are doing one thing yet mean the complete opposite, right? It's the exact opposite meaning. And we find so much irony in this, these passages of Scripture. Here, the family, we see... Uh, when the Christ family shows up to, to, to rescue him, right? The family to the rescue. When in reality, it was Jesus who had come to do the rescuing. Jesus came to rescue us. Yet his family thought he was mad, the scriptures say. Right? Jesus entered the house and the crowd gathered. In verse 21, when his family heard this, they, they set out to restrain him because they said he is out of his mind. His family, ironically, goes to save Jesus when Jesus has come from heaven to save them. And then we see in the next passage of Scripture, Mark 3.22, the irony that, uh, that the works of Jesus are attributed to Satan, the prince of demons, when in reality, they were truly the works of God. The irony is just exploding in front of us. Jesus has come. He's demonstrated the works of God in His miraculous healings. And, and yet, ironically, the religious leaders attribute His works to the work of Satan. Verse 23, The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. And so ultimately, there's lots of different uh, uh, connotations to Beelzebul. But ultimately, what he was referring to is the prince of demons, and that's ultimately Satan. Right? This character, the serpent that uh, John in Revelation describes as being the serpent in Genesis, is the one who's here and has deceived mankind, had, had Attempted Adam and Eve and has been at work attempting to dismantle God's beautiful creation and God's beautiful design all throughout human history. Jesus comes to rescue us from those things and these religious leaders attribute His working to Satan and not to God. 
And so Jesus hears this, right? And he ultimately answers them with, with parables. Parables are metaphors that are employed. But biblically speaking, a, a parable in biblical language is, is a metaphor that has a deeper spiritual meaning. And we'll see, especially after this encounter and Jesus' uh, confrontation here with the religious leaders, he begins to use parables more and more in teaching. These metaphors with a deeper spiritual meaning. And so Jesus answers these Pharisees with these following parables. And so he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? These religious leaders are saying, Jesus' power is from, from the devil, from Satan. And Jesus says, how can this be? Why would Satan want to attack himself? It makes no logical sense to attribute what Jesus is doing, all the good that he was doing, to be the work of Satan. Satan is the liar. He's the deceiver. He's the, he's the, the spiritual fallen angel who is out to... Um, Seeking, like the Scriptures declare, like a lion seeking who he may devour and destroy. And so Jesus answers this, How can Satan drive out Satan? In verse 24, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. All of us can understand that passage, right? If a kingdom is existing... And that kingdom divides against itself. That kingdom cannot stand. The rise and fall of great powers and nations all throughout human history can, can be studied and we can all see that the, the, the strongest empires, the strongest nations usually do not fall from an outside force. But it falls from, within, from decay from within. A kingdom is divided against itself. The kingdom cannot stand. That is Jesus' response to this charge of him being, uh, his power being through the works of Satan. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand, he says in verse 25. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. And so he's trying to pull out the irony, the the irony of the fact that the, the very f- fact that he's declaring himself, uh, that they're declaring that he is the, has the power of Satan, uh, 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 it just cannot be. Because Satan would be opposing himself. It'd be a kingdom fighting against itself. And ultimately, we see Jesus as he confronts them that ironically the Pharisees' accusation actually demonstrates Jesus' authority over Satan. Right? Verse 27, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, and then he can plunder his house. So by bringing this accusation to Jesus, he 
Ultimately, Jesus uses this against the Pharisees. He's saying, look, uh, someone can't go into a strong man's house and steal all of his possessions unless he first binds up the strong man. And so we understand this strong man to be Satan, right? The prince of demons. And that strong man must be bound up before someone can take his possessions. And so Jesus is ultimately saying, uh, by demonstrating his authority over demons and uh, casting out of demons, that he is ultimately stronger than Satan because he is God in the flesh. He's demonstrating his power and his authority even over the prince of demons, Satan. And the Pharisees building the case of Jesus being blasphemous is also ironic when we consider the reality that it was the Pharisees who were blaspheming, right? We, we know through the Gospel accounts the Pharisees are trying to kill him, trying to work up a charge against Jesus. And they're, they're, they ultimately will lay at his feet the charge of blasphemy, of uh, claiming to be God, the act of claiming um, attributes of deity, and an act of, the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. That's what blasphemy is. And, and ultimately, they lay that at Jesus' feet, but, but Jesus confronts them here and tells them it is they who are blaspheming. It is they who are the ultimate blasphemers. Mark three twenty eight through 30 Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So Jesus hearkens them, tells them, look, it is you who are blaspheming. You're blaspheming against the Spirit. The unforgivable sin that Jesus speaks to here, this sin that um, has consequences through eternity, is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. The unforgivable sin is the attribution of the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And his works were being attributed to the works of Satan with respect to his miracles and his earthly ministry. And we know the Spirit, right? We've talked about this. Jesus is not only God, 100% God, but he's 100% man. He took upon the form of flesh. He became a man. And in his earthly ministry, as the, as the perfect man should, he became empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, he was baptized in the Spirit, we saw in Mark chapter 1. Paul says in Romans 6 that the, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. We saw in his baptism, right, that the Holy Spirit came and come upon Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. In his, as Luke records his baptism, says that or after his baptism, when he goes into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted, then Jesus left the Jordan and he was full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And so these works that Jesus is doing, right, is that works attributed through the power of the Spirit. 
Those Pharisees were able to see for their, for, with their very eyes these works, these miraculous works that were Jesus were doing in the power of the Spirit, and they denied it and said, uh, instead of saying they were the works of God, they, contributed, they attributed them to the works of the devil. But denying the works of God, the Spirit in the, uh, uh, of the Spirit in the life of Jesus, they were willfully severing their only possibility of means of reconciliation. They were saying... Those aren't the works of the Spirit. Those are of Satan. And as we know, as Scripture declares to us, it is the power of the Spirit that we become born again, that we are able to be saved from our, from our sin and what we truly deserved. And by denying the Spirit and its power, they were literally and willfully severing their only means of being reconciled to God. And that is the case for us today. Our only means for us to be reconciled to God, to God is through being born again, born from above, through the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit of God. J- Jesus said in John 16, He's promising the Spirit that will come, and He, he gives us what the Spirit will be doing, is the, the, the Spirit carrying out, the Father's will in, in the world as Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. Uh, he's warning His disciples, look, I must go, but the Comforter will come. And, and this is what the Comforter will do in John sixteen eight, When He comes, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so the Spirit's ministry in this world is to convict the world about sin, our sin and our need for righteousness, the righteousness that we cannot work in and of ourselves. And ultimately, judgment. I'm here this morning proclaiming as best as I can uh, the gospel message because this I know is there's coming a day of judgment for all those who are outside of Christ will be judged according to their works. And it is through Jesus, it is the only means in which God has made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. And it is through the ministry of the Spirit. He will come to convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And they're denying the Spirit's working in their life. John 3, 6, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. We must be born again by the Spirit of God. And by blaspheming the Holy Spirit, they're severing their only means to be forgiven, to be reconciled. And so I just want to close in review of this passage of Scripture, I just want to be clear. There is, there is no sin, and I hope that you hear me this morning, there's no sin that is too great that can't be forgiven in Christ except for the one, the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit, or the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's um, important for us because as soon as we hear this one sin that we can't be forgiven of, all of us, right? To do a check is like, did we do it? Maybe I'm the only one concerned that you might have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, the one sin that you can't be forgiven of. But we see here in the context of what the Gospels lay out for us that this, this blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, this one sin that can't be forgiven, is the sin that occurs when we deny the working of Jesus and the works of the ministry of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. But the sin that you and I commit can be forgiven. I've encountered people before and say, you just don't know. You don't know the sin 
that I've committed in the past. And I'm here to tell you, as Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. There's no sin that is too great. The question that you must ask yourself is regarding the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, do you ascribe the miraculous works of Jesus to the work of God, the Holy Spirit, or do you ascribe the miraculous works of Jesus to the work of Satan? Because in context, that is what has happened here. They've denied the power and the working of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. So how do you answer that question? If it's the work of God then you have not committed the sin that is unforgivable. Matthew 12, Jesus said, blasphemy of the Son is forgivable. You can even blaspheme against Jesus. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you've been mad and frustrated and your emotions overtake you and you, you just think hatred towards God and you, you wonder, did I just commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. No, all matters of sin can be forgiven. But these miraculous works of Jesus are the work of God. And as long as you don't ascribe those to Satan, then that is not a sin that you can commit. There is a sense of the unpardonable sin today. And that's the state of continued unbelief. Uh, I, my fifth grade teacher, I know, prayed for me and invited me to his youth group and so desired for me to be saved. And I heard the gospel message several times when I was younger, but I denied it. Into the, my teens, I've heard the gospel message and I denied it and I denied it and I denied it. And then in my late 20s, right, the Spirit convicted me of my sin and my need to re- repent and believe and trust in Christ alone. And so I believed. But if I were to continue in my life to to keep pushing the conviction of the Holy Spirit and my need to receive Jesus as Savior, that is, in a sense, the unpardonable sin for today. You must turn from your own ways of doing things, your own justifications for your life, and receive and trust in Christ alone. You must allow Jesus or the God the Spirit to, 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 to do that work. And this idea, this sense of this uh, constant state of unbelief is a, is a sign that you will one day be judged for your sin. You'll be found outside the Lamb's book of life. And so my plea to you this morning and my prayer, knowing that you... You and of yourself can't do it. My prayer is that the Spirit of God is convicting you of your need to receive and believe and trust in Christ alone. That He would give you the gift of faith and the gift of repentance as the Scriptures declare. That you can be saved and justified and adopted into His family by trusting in Christ alone. That you would believe. So whoever so believes on Christ will be saved, the Scriptures declare. But this continued state of unbelief will be unpardonable at the day of judgment. And that is our plea and our warning to you this morning. And then we have the ultimate irony 
In closing, the ultimate irony that's found in this passage of Scripture, or uh, the results as we conclude this passage of Scripture, is it was the Pharisees who were doing the work of Satan. They ascribed the works of Jesus as the works of Satan, but it was them who were doing the works of Satan. John 8, 43-44, explicitly say this. This is the Jesus encountering these religious leaders, and he explicitly says that they were doing the, the works of Satan. Verse 43 of John 8, Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer. The scriptures declare. So he ultimately explicitly says that these religious leaders, quote unquote, these people that were pointing, were supposed to be pointing people, God's people to, to God, were actually children of the devil, doing the devil's bidding. bidding. They were ascribing Jesus' works to Satan, but it was ultimately them who were doing the, um, the works of Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus tells about Jesus or about this Jesus tells us about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. All of us who are outside of Jesus are found in a separated sinful state. If we remain in that separated, sinful state, separated from God, there is no hope, and ultimately, judgment lies upon us. And that's what makes the good news of the gospel so good, that Jesus has come to rescue us from that. Jesus, by taking the penalty and payment upon himself for us, has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And I pray that today would be the day that you, that the Spirit would convict you of your need to receive Jesus. And I just want to close here with the, uh, this op- application, uh, modern day warning for us. There's um, some in the, in the Christian, Christianity circles who would say to us as Christians that if you um, deny gifts, or if you see someone performing a miracle and you, 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 you deny it being of God or of the Holy Spirit, that you can, uh, you can run into this risk of becoming or uh, doing this unpardonable sin of blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Scriptures declare to us. Contextually, we say, hopefully you've seen this morning that the, the, unforgiven, the unpardonable sin is that ascribing the works of, of, to Jesus uh, to the works of Satan and not to God. But people would say that, and I just want to close with this, this warning, that Scripture does not tell us that, number one. But number two, Scripture again and again warns us that there will be people in the last days that will, will try to persuade us and try to confuse us and, and um, do these spiritual works that are not of God, yet they will turn around and say, well, if you don't believe, then you're going to be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I just want to tell you, church, that Scripture again and again tells us that we 
are to test the spirits. It gives us permission to test those who have these uh, claim these uh, this authority that is from God and these miraculous gifts. It tells us that we are to test it. Now the Spirit in First Timothy four one, the Spirit capital S explicitly says, in later times, some will depart from the faith, from from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, and the teachings of demons. So Scripture tells us that there's a there's a chance there's a sense in which some will depart and will pay attention to deceitful spirits, the things that are of Satan and the teachings of demons. Second Corinthians eleven, Paul writes that there's going to be people that are like false apostles. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul's declaring to us, look, we, um, Satan will try to deceive us. We'll make, make it look like he's a messenger for good. He'll appear as an angel of light. His false apostles will disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And so Scripture gives us these warnings that we are to be discerning We are to test the spirits. We are to test truth claims according to the word, right? First John, dear friends, so the Apostle John, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So again and again, Scripture tells us as his people to to be discerning and to test and not, not be afraid of someone who says, well, if you don't believe my, my, my miraculous work, or if you don't believe that this particular work is of God, then you're committing the unpardonable sin. No, the Scriptures give us permission to test and discern these things, to test those spirits. And ultimately, Scripture calls us to be Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, the Bereans were ones who when Paul rolled into town and proclaimed, gave him a truth claim of the apostle. He had the miraculous sign gifts, Paul did, all those things, the gifts of an apostle. Um, but he also proclaimed the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the Bereans, what did they do? They opened up God's word and they tested what Paul's claims were according to scripture to see whether or not these things were true. And so my plea for us this morning is that we would be Bereans when it comes to truth claims and to miraculous gifts. Ultimately, do their teachings, those people who could be false apostles, do their teachings align with the teachings of Scripture? They always have an aberrant theology, an aberrant, different truth claim than what scriptures declare. And so we are to be discerning Bereans. Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching and for rebuking, for correcting and for training in righteousness. God has given us his word and his word is unchanging and he's promised to preserve it for us and we are to discern all truth claims, all miraculous authority claims through the scripture.
that we would be Bereans and that we would be found faithful to the, to the, to the faith that was once given to the saints. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity, God, to be able to meet this morning and um, just sing these songs of uh, praise to you this morning for what you've done for us in Jesus. We're thankful for this opportunity to open up your word and to be reminded, God, of the first of your gospel, what you've done for us. We're also grateful, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity and the means in which we can provide um, or give, be given discernment for truth claims and that we can see ultimately, Father, that you have made a way for us in Jesus and that the works that Jesus did in his earthly ministry were not the works of Satan but indeed, but were the works of you, of God. And that we too can place our faith and trust in, in his gospel message that he's come to seek and to save those who are lost. And we're so grateful, God. Help us to be a light in this dark world. Help us to be discerning Bereans, Father. Help us to be a people of your word. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.